Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Follow me on Twitter, and it's a very special Run to Daylight podcast today, as I will be introducing and interviewing Derek Carty. Derek, you might recognize from his role on Baseball Tonight, or his articles at ESPN.com, or his occasional Sports Center appearances. He's a longtime DFS player, and famously, for me anyway now, he's the creator of the Bat Projection System. Prior to Daily Fantasy, Derek honed his statistical chops as the fantasy manager of two of the biggest sabermetric outlets, Baseball Prospectus and the Hardball Times, and he's the only active fantasy writer to have graduated from Major League Baseball's exclusive scout school. Derek, are you with us? Hmm, maybe he isn't with us. Can Do you, you hear me now, can you hear How me? How about now? Todd? Hey, hey, can you hear me? I can hear you. You have me? I can hear you. So uh, how do you like the introduction? <laughs> that was uh, quite the list you rattled off there. I feel, I feel accomplished. Thank you. <laughs> well, actually, I thought of last minute, you know, well, as I was preparing for the interview, I, I looked at your fantasy boot camp. Uh, presentation where um, I had seen you for the second time and as I was going through it they had you know Al and company had gone to the uh, effort of putting that together so I decided to be a little more professional than normal and um, use that so how are you doing today I'm doing great how about you Uh, I'm excellent 
you know, first I want to get to the really important question I've been meaning to ask you. How often or if ever does anyone call you Rico? <laughs> Occasionally, especially uh, in the year-long fantasy industry, the the age curve's a little bit steeper. Like a lot of the guys are like a lot older, so like the older guys will will make that kind of reference occasionally. In DFS, yeah, well, I'm 53, so I definitely resemble that remark. Um, <laughs> it seems that you know uh, before we get too serious into the interview that um, the one thing that everyone seems to talk about with you is the hair. I mean, people <laughs> seem to be obsessed with your hair, and it's guys who are obsessed with it. I mean, don't I mean, you find you that a bit odd? <laughs> Maybe a bit odd, um, but I, uh, I have no problem with it. I think uh, the hair is part of my personality. It's part of my uh, persona, and I'm glad that people have taken to it. Absolutely. I mean, anything, right? So um, – Tell us a little bit about your history, where you grew up, where you live. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey, right along the beach. Um, what town? That's where. What's that? What town? I'm I'm a Jersey boy. I'm like uh, like right on the shore, right in the middle, like Belmar, Asbury, Seaside area. Oh, awesome! I uh, I grew up in Scotch Plains, so about an hour north of you. Okay. Yeah, not too far away. Yep. So how did you get into fantasy baseball in the beginning? In the beginning, I was in high school and I was playing in a fantasy baseball league with, uh, with my friends and I would lose every year and I didn't know why. (laughs) And uh, I found out that my one friend was into sabermetrics and he, uh, he was big on like Moneyball. It kind of, you know, been out a couple of years now. Um, And so I read that because he said that's, you know, why he was, why he was winning all the time. And so I read that and I fell in love with it. I was always really good at math. I love numbers and I love puzzles. Uh, And so it just clicked for me. Like, I was like, oh, this is perfect. I can combine my love of sports and math. And I just kind of started writing. I put up a a blogger blog. Uh, A couple months later, the Hardball Times noticed. They said, you know, we want to start a fantasy section. Will you come you know, start it for us and be the face of fantasy for the hardball times. And I was like, fantastic. They were my favorite site at the time, like one of the best sabermetric sites. They merged with Fangraphs eventually. They're like, they're basically Fangraphs is like nerdier, older brother. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and so, yeah, that's how it started. And then from there, it all kind of snowballed, you know, I, uh, I mean, I mean, so- that's, that's kind of the equivalent of sitting at the front row of a Tigers game and having Kate Upton fall in love with you. Right. <laughs> that would be quite the experience. Well, I mean, getting your favorite site to notice you and ask you to to, to have this career as a writer, I mean, it's it's almost a, a, a similar analogy. It really is. So what you're telling me is you have a crush on Kate Upton, Todd. Uh, are there any red-blooded Americans that don't? I don't think there are, honestly. <laughs> I mean, you know, no offense, sometimes I will only look from the neck down. But, um, you know, that's a spoiler alert. I think that's to be expected a little bit. Yeah, that's uh, it's fairly noticeable. So um, so you wrote for them for a little while. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what that was like and how you went from one site to the other. Uh, It was great because I got to work with so many smart people. Like a lot of the guys that I work with there are, are working for for major league front offices now, like Josh Kalk was uh, one of the first like 
like really good. Can, can you say that name list. three times real fast? <laughs> Josh Koff, Josh Koff, Josh. Uh, can't do it. Nope. Um, Didn't think so. Yeah, he, I, you know, I, I worked with him, and then he wound up uh, moving on to the Rays, and he got mentioned in uh, in Jonah Carey's the extra two percent book, which was great. Um, but uh, yeah, I got to work with some really smart guys, guys who consulted with major league teams and stuff like that. Um, and it was just, it was cool because I was like a part of this, you know, sabermetric community and working with some of the best minds in baseball and learning so much. Yeah, that, that is, um, really very interesting to me. Um, just to give you a little bit of my history, I was a huge baseball nut when I was a kid, but it manifested differently. There was no sabermetrics. It was, you know, we would play stratomatic baseball on our tabletop for hours at a time. And I read uh, a book called The Glory of Their Times, which I immediately fell in love with and, and got into the whole history of the game. And I mean, I, I, you know, like my parlor trick is I could still tell you who won every World Series back to 1903. But I kind of got disenfranchised by the game with the steroids and the no cap and uh, kind of quit after 2002 and came back this year because of DFS. Uh, so I remember when I met you at the football um, boot camp in the fall that Grinders did. I mean, you, your your whole thing went over my head because I just was so far removed from baseball. But, it, you know, while I was away, this whole industry of sabermetrics, which I had heard of, uh, seemed to have grown up and become a, a really important factor, not only with fans, but with the people who actually run these teams. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you can't, you can't go anywhere without it now. Like there's still a few kind of, you know, stubborn mainstream guys who are like, Oh, sabermetrics are the devil. Or we have uh, who was, it? I think Burke Wylevin or, or goose gossage, maybe yeah, like a few weeks ago, like decrying the sabermetric community. But for the most part, like every front office uses it. A lot of mainstream writers use it now. Like it's everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm an old Yankee fan from the 70s, so I'll always love Goose. But, you know, he's not exactly the type of guy I'd go to for life advice. <laughs> so uh, how did you parlay that into going to scout school? I think that that, you know, the whole scout school aspect and how you combine numbers with real world scouting is very interesting to me and something I want to get into a little bit. Right. So that was something that I very much wanted to do. You know, after a couple of years at the hardball times, I kind of had this statistical background, but I knew that wasn't everything, you know, that wasn't the complete picture of a player. So I really wanted to go to scout school. Um, but I don't know how much you know about it, but it's really, it's very exclusive. It's designed basically for, uh, for major league teams, every major league team, basically to go, you need a sponsorship for a major league team. Every yeah, team... I, I, I did know that. So one, the next question on my list was how did you get sponsored? Right. So um, every team only gets a sponsor, at least at the time was like two people per year. So it was really hard. Um, what I did was I, I had contacts from being with the hardball times and I knew people who knew people. So I got put in touch basically with half the front offices in baseball. And I said to him, look, I want to go to scout school. Will you sponsor me? Do you have a free, you know, an open, open sponsorship? And most of them said, no, like, you know, 
we're sending, you know, so-and-so because we want them to be a scout, or we're sending so-and-so from the front office because we want them to, to understand the scouting process more. But eventually, I was persistent, and I just kept nagging teams and nagging teams, and I found one that said, sure, if you pay your own way, we'll sponsor you. And I was like, awesome. <laughs> and what team was that, and who gave you your big break? Uh, I'm not allowed to say, actually. Okay, fair enough. Um, so you, you go to scout school. How long is scout school? It's two weeks. Two weeks of from the time you wake up until the time you go to sleep of learning about scouting and, and doing scouting and everything else involved with it. What was your favorite part of scout school, and were there parts that you didn't enjoy? Hmm. Honestly, I don't think there were parts that I didn't enjoy because when you're passionate about something like this, like you just, you want to learn as much as possible. Like what I didn't enjoy was I wish it was longer. Like if it was four weeks or six weeks, like that would, that would have been great. I would have loved to stay there longer. Um, the best parts of it though, were just learning from major league baseball scouts who do this for a living and who have done it for some of them have done it for 50 years or 60 years. Uh, and just learning from them how to evaluate players with your eyes, which is so much more more art than than science, you know, relative to the statistical side of it. So it was just it was a great experience. How did going to you know like me going to the Roto Grinders conference, you know, so many times in life you you, you get your hopes up for something, a concert or a date, and it doesn't live up to your expectations. Uh, did scout school live up to your expectations and even exceed it? Yeah, it definitely lived up to it. Um, it probably exceeded it too. I mean, it's so long ago now. It was uh, 2009. So what's that? Seven years ago? Man, I'm getting old. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, you're going to be 30 and 30 is dipping your toe in the water of getting old. <laughs> yeah. Soon enough. Um, but yeah, it was great. Um you know, it's hard, it's hard to just pinpoint like one thing about it that I loved, but like, and, and it's co- the cool part about it is now because it was so long ago, like the guys that you watched and scouted and wrote reports on are like in the big leagues now, or like, I don't know, starting maybe three or four years ago, like you started seeing them. Like the very first guy I ever scouted was Billy Hamilton, who's like a household name now and gets played all the time in DFS because he steals the base every time he gets on. <laughs> Which is about once a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if he could learn to get on more, man, he would just be a monster. He could be Ricky Henderson like. He really could. Maybe we'll um, have to I mean, I I don't know if you were watching yeah. a game the other night where he was on first base and there was another guy in second base. I think it was Cozart. And he's not exactly a slow guy. He's a leadoff hitter and there was a double hit into the gap. And Billy Hamilton had to slow down or he would have <laughs> run over Cozart before home plate. Yeah, I didn't see that, but that doesn't surprise me at all. Hamilton it, was – he's so fast. He's so fast. Oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah. I mean, I read the article that's on Grantland in, in preparing for the interview about the guy who went to scout school, and he was talking about how you go and most of your time is spent not finding anyone – and you're mm-hmm. telling us that you saw Billy Hamilton right out of the gate. Well, they kind of like pulled a fast one on us. Like they told us to watch this guy and we're all sitting there with our stopwatches because one of the, one of the first things they teach you, one of the easiest things is to, is to grade a player's speed. So you, you time his home to first speed and we're all looking at the stopwatch and we're like, huh? 
is that right? Like, is that actually an 80 grade speed? Would he really go down the line that fast? Because it's actually, it's like, there's an art to like getting the stopwatch starting and stopping it at the right time. And so it kind of takes a little bit of the, a little while to get used to it and getting it right. And so when the first guy, all of us have like this crazy time on our stopwatches, we're like, can that be right? And then, right. Yeah. I mean, it's fun that they did that. And I wonder how much it was off of that Grantland article where that, you know, someone at scout school said, you know, we need to stack the deck a little bit um, just to kind of get their interest out of the gate. Yeah, I definitely can see that. I think they wanted to show us like, okay, this is 80 grade speed. Compare everything else to this. Yeah. Well, and you know, you really don't know until you see the high end, what medium and low is. Exactly. Uh, I like that. I like that they did that for you. So uh, one of the questions I have is kind of off the, the track of the scout school in a sense, but do they incorporate any of your numbers and what you had learned beforehand at scout school, or is that pretty much off the table? That's off the table. That's beyond the purview of scout school. They, they do nothing with numbers. It's all about, it's all about the tools. Well, the, uh, the only thing about scout school, there's no advanced numbers, but they do have a pretty uh, extensive grading system that they use to grade the different skills of the players. Could you give us a quick rundown on, on, on how that works? Right. So the scouting uh, scale is 20 to 80. So 20 is the, the lowest possible score and 80 is the, the highest possible score. Uh, both scores are very rare. 80 is like Billy Hamilton's speed or like, you know, prime Adam Wainwright's curveball or Clayton Kershaw's curveball or like, uh, you know, a guy who throws a hundred or Rollis Chapman's velocity is an 80 grades, uh, 80 grade velocity. Um, and, and everything else is kind of in between 50s average. And it kind of goes from there. Gotcha. All right. So um, that, that is interesting. So, what did they teach you to look for and like with pitchers, what was the most important thing they taught you to look for in grading a pitcher? Uh, it was, uh, it was his stuff. Like they taught us how to, how to identify pitches by how they moved. What's a fastball, what's a changeup, what's a slider, what's a curveball. And then it, they taught us kind of the different types of, you know, the different ways it can break and the kind of things that you're looking for with it. And, uh, and grading, grading pitches that way. Um, and then, and then different kind of mechanical things to look out for too. Right. And, and I would think that that would be important because they want to make sure that, you know, especially when it comes to pitchers arms, that they've got a motion that would allow them to have a a decent length in their career. Absolutely. Um, they're, they're really big into, to projectability too. And like the body type. So like guys who are like kind of, you know, bigger and sturdier, they kind of, they tend to think might, you know, hold up better, which, you know, makes sense. It isn't always the case, but, but that's one of the things that they kind of harped on a little bit too. From my dark recesses of my memory of listening to the Moneyball uh, audio, um, there was a catcher who was a complete failure, uh, but they liked his college sabermetrics. Uh, do you remember that whole story? What was that guy? Jeremy name? Brown, I think, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's funny how the two of those are kind of uh, opposed. So explain how scout school narrowed your field of vision when watching the, and from watching baseball 
And has it increased or, or, or made you feel a little more mechanical when you're watching the games? Yeah, I try to – I guess it depends on the purpose of why I'm watching the game. If I'm watching the game because I want to get a take on a guy, then I will focus in and look at, you know, particular things that I want to, that I want to see. Um, but I also, you know, occasionally I'm just a fan of the game in general. So, so a lot of times I will uh, – I'll just kind of try to watch it and, you know, zone out all the little minutia and just kind of enjoy it. So, yeah, so that you have that ability. That's interesting. So what would you say, let's finish up with scout school and get to what most of us get to know each other from, which is daily fantasy. How do you think what you learned at scout school makes you a better daily fantasy player? I think it definitely makes me a better daily fantasy player because, the numbers aren't everything and, and the numbers are so widespread now and everyone knows the numbers, you know, for the most part, they're out there. There's still mistakes being made and you know, whatnot, but, but the, the intelligence level with the numbers is so much higher than it used to be. Um, but with the scouting, no one has that really. So the way I always look at it is the numbers kind of tell you what happened and the scouting tells you why it happened. So the numbers may say that a guy is doing this well, but we don't necessarily know if that's sustainable and the scouting can help us figure that out. Gotcha. So how did you go from scouting school and writing for those um, companies to getting into daily fantasy and then coming up with the bat? Uh, so I was, uh, hmm, how did I get into it? I was obviously writing about stuff and I was looking for, you know, I was kind of a struggling writer. I wasn't making a ton of money. So I was looking for different, different gigs and different ways to make money and different places to write. Uh, and FanDuel was a thing. And so I got an offer to write articles at FanDuel and I started playing daily fantasy with them and kind of analyzing things from the daily mindset. And I kind of fell in love with it. Like it was just, perfect it was like more analytical than the season-long game so many more different factors to consider and i just kind of i ran with it from there yeah i think daily fantasy might even be more addictive than kate upton <laughs> i think just you know uh, especially, especially you, as but... you get older <laughs> what's that especially <laughs> as you get older so um so um how did you come up with the bat uh, what did you put into it then, and how has it grown since its infancy? Well, it started uh, before daily was even really a thing, I think, or like when it was just just starting out. And it started as a as a year long fantasy system that I could use in my leagues. And then as I kind of built it from there, I realized, you know, I can tailor this to daily, and then I can, you know, potentially create something great. And so it still had all of the all the same you know, the same core of like projecting players using sabermetric methods. And then I threw on all the different daily layers to make it applicable to DFS. And how much do you think that you add to the bat um, in the off season each year? And do you work on it and tweak it during the year? Yeah, I, I, the biggest upgrades are made in the off season. And then during the year, I still make a ton of them. I made, I made a one that I was pretty excited about just yesterday, actually. I got to ask, what was that? So I, uh, I want to project innings better for pitchers. Um, I was watching Johnny Cueto a couple nights ago, and I'm like, why is Cueto – because Cueto put up a huge game, and I, I paired Liriano with Pomerantz, who were both good. 
but they both only but, lasted. By the like, way, I paired Liriano with Pomerantz too, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, so I mean they were good, but they only went five or six innings, and then Cueto threw a complete game, and I'm like, well, why did Cueto throw a complete game? Like he got so many extra points at the end just because he threw a couple extra innings. And so I, uh, I tweaked the system. I realized I wasn't accounting for a pitcher's ability to go deep like that. Um, and so what I did is first I, I used pitch counts for, for each pitcher based on, you know, their past history, you know, kind of adjusted for a couple little things. Um, but then I also project his pitch efficiency. Um, so the way that works is basically a pitcher who – who allows a lot of walks is going to run his pitch count up very quickly. A pitcher who gets a lot of strikeouts is not. And then, uh, and then guys, you know, who get a lot of balls in play, basically the way, what's the best way to describe it? So, so balls in play take about three and a half pitches per, per ball in play on average strikeouts are like four and walks are like five, let's say. Mm -hmm. Um, But every time you allow a ball in play, it's not always going to be an out. So sometimes it's an out, sometimes it's a hit. So in general, you want strikeouts the most, then balls in play, and then walks, because walks are no outs and the most pitches. That um, makes so, a lot of sense. Right. So so I project basically pitch efficiency now, um, where guys who are being the most efficient, not allowing a lot of walks, are uh, are going to be projected for more pitches and thus more innings. Um, and I it kind of bore out last night a little bit. Uh, Jose Quintana after I made this change, jumped up towards the top of my projections. Uh, and he, he had a bad inning in like the seventh. But up until that point, he threw like, I don't know, like 60 pitches through 65 pitches through six innings or something because he doesn't walk any batters and because the Royals don't take any walks. So he is being incredibly efficient up until that point. I was like, oh, I think I'm onto something here. Yeah, I, I like that. And, and, you know, one of the things you and I talked about at boot camp was – And just as a note to anyone who's listening, any of my three listeners, um, I used the bat. I signed up for it right after the boot camp. My reasoning for doing it is that I have about an hour or two a day, and I know that I'm not good at what Derek is good at. So do I just take the bat and blindly use it? No, I don't. But it gives me a tremendous head start every day in what I'm looking for and in my research. And I forgot where I was going to take that, Derek. Um, But basically, I wanted to let everyone know that I use the bat and I really like it. Uh, And and what we're going to do as we after we get through a few more questions is we're actually going to go through what the bat looks like today. And then I'm going to ask some questions so that if you're not a bat user uh, yet, you want to get it because it's only $150 for a year. And with advanced math, how many, uh, how many uh, games are there a year, Derek? There's usually about 180 days. So, so yeah. So uh, using advanced math, how much is that a day? <laughs> that's, uh, that's less than a dollar a day. I think we're maybe a little bit over now since we're into the season a little bit, but it's still – if you're playing any kind of volume, it's really not, not a heavy investment. Right. So for less than a dollar a day, you can get the bat and you can take from it what you want. You can tailor it. Derek, uh, Derek has an excellent video explaining how he uses the bat and how you can use it. And then you can use your own ability and your own ingenuity 
to play with it some more. So I'm a big fan of it. And one of the things that I've noticed in the industry is you end up in these discussions, you know, like one is batter versus pitcher. And another one is projection system or no projection system. And I find it an interesting, if fruitless, argument. Um, Obviously, we know where you come down on, on it. But can you tell us why someone who just goes from their gut is going to completely miss a big portion of what's important? Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of ways to approach that question. <clears throat> First, um, I think if you're, if you're just going from your gut or you're just kind of eyeballing the matchups, sometimes you will miss something. You'll rule a guy out and have the platoon advantage or because he's up against a good pitcher. Um, but he might be a good value anyway if his price is low and if the rest of the matchup is good. And so a projection system can catch a guy like that. Like last night, the bat thought Freddie Freeman was a top 10 first baseman. And he was up against Aaron Nola. And so nobody played Freeman because Nola's good. But Freddie Freeman was cheap, and the rest of the match was good. He had the platoon advantage. He was in a good park. Um, and so, so, I mean, obviously Freeman hit two home runs. It's not, it's not always going to work out that well. But, like, that's the type of guy that the projection system can help you find. Yep, and, and it also can help you with recency bias. You know, it's human nature. I hear it all the time. Well, I played Stanton. He struck out four times. What a dog, you know. And right now Stanton is putting up over fours like, the, you know, like if they're going out of style. But <laughs> he's still someone who's going to show up very highly on the bat from day to day. Absolutely. The bat doesn't uh, necessarily buy into guys who are, you know, on a little bit of a cold streak like that. Um, Just because Stanton's history is so good that you know that the underlying talent for Stanton is there. So if he's in a good matchup, the bat is going to like him. That being said, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, finish what you were going to say. That being said, there is a user component too. Like you don't necessarily have to just follow it blindly and play Stanton. If you think Stanton is, you know, really cold right now, and you don't want to risk him putting up another 0 for 4, you don't have to play him. Like, sometimes guys, there's something off mechanically or psychologically, or they're playing hurt. And so the bat isn't going to pick up on that because it's a physical system. Um, so, so the user needs to intervene a little bit. Yeah, I, I think especially with pitchers, you have to be careful because a lot of times when their arms are hurting or tired, they're, you know, it's, it's human nature for a pitcher not to want to tell someone that he's hurt. You know, they mm-hmm. don't even want to admit it to themselves. And um, so that, that's one that I do think I, I spend more time questioning the, what the bat tells me with a pitcher than I do with a hitter. And that makes a lot of sense. I think it's a lot easier for a pitcher to be kind of broken than it is for a hitter. Absolutely. Uh, One of the guys that always seems to come up very high on the bat, and there are just some guys that the bat loves. Um, I I, I, I think the bat Jesus is, uh, if you'll excuse the expression, is uh, Sano of Minnesota. Can you speak a little bit about why he tends to come up? And and should people get a bat hood ornament of uh, Sano? (laughs) They absolutely should. Um, I love Sano and the bat loves Sano. Um, And the reason why is is a matter of skill set. The bat tends to like guys who are power hitters more than guys who are contact hitters. So 
so people have kind of asked, you know, I've gotten questions of, you know, of a given day, like, should I play Sano or should I play like Adam Eaton? And usually for me, the answer is Sano. Um, and here's why. So, so Sano, a lot of his skills are based on his power. They're based on his walks. Um, you know, his strikeout rate is a big part of who he is as a player. And these are things that are very stable. They're, they're much easier to predict than things like hits, hits on balls in play, which is what drives a lot of Adam Eaton's value. So if you look at it statistically, it takes about uh, – what's, what's the number here? It takes about uh, 150 plate appearances before you can say that a hitter's home run rate is just as useful in predicting his future home run rate than just assuming he's league average. It takes about 150 plate appearances. To do the same thing for hits on balls in play, it takes 1,300, so eight and a half times more uh, plate appearances it's going to take for us to have the same level of confidence in a hitter's batting average on balls in play than it will for his home run rate. That's huge. That's a huge difference. And so for a system that is entirely statistically driven, uh, we're going to be projecting home runs more extremely than we are hits on balls in play. So home run hitters are going to project better than guys who are deriving their value on hits on balls in play because we can't tell for sure whether the guy doing that is doing it legitimately or not. And then it helps also that home runs you get so much, so many more points for. So, yeah, you know, it's interesting because Stanton, a lot of times when he comes up uh, for cash games, I tend to sub him out. And again, if you look at the video that, uh, Derek did to support the bat. He does talk about uh, subbing people out. And I do tend to do that because he is so hit or miss. And But, you know, I think one of the criticisms of the bat is it's more of a cash game thing than a uh, GPP thing. But what you're telling me here makes me think it's just in its own way just as good for predicting uh, GPP performance. Absolutely. That's a, that's a very valid way to look at it. Um, the cat or the, the projections from the bat are their mean projections. They're <clears throat> sorry. Um, let's say Sano is projected for 0.2 home runs today. If we were to play out this exact matchup millions of times, essentially what the bat is saying is that on average, Sano would hit 0.2 home runs. Some games he would hit one, some games he would hit two, a bunch of games he would hit zero but on average it would be 0.2. But that doesn't account for variability at all. With a, when, with a guy whose projection is driven primarily by home runs, it's such a low occurrence event that there are going to be a lot of games where it's zero and he's not giving you any points. And so that variability is something to take into account when you're playing GPP versus cash. Um, but on average, Sano is a great play in a lot of matchups. Yep. And, and again, you know, one of the great things uh, by using you've partnered up with Roto Grinders uh, this year. Why don't we touch on that real quick? Um, in the past, you worked through someone else. Why don't you tell us some of the advantages that you've had in partnering with Roto Grinders? Well, Roto Grinders is great. I was with Fantasy Insiders the past couple of years, and my experience there was awesome as well. A great group of guys. They they you know they really embraced me and kind of brought me into the DFS community, and I'm really thankful for that. They're they're phenomenal. Um, but, uh, I moved to Roto Grinders this year and I'm absolutely loving it. 
obviously they're the, the biggest DFS content site out there. The exposure has been great. The community there is really what I love, especially doing like the grinders live shows and, and reading through the, the chat room during the shows and, you know, kind of being able to interact with the people and stuff like that. It's really been a lot of fun. Awesome. And, uh, and, and again, re, uh, ch- you know, I got to start getting through some of these questions if we're going to actually get to some practical things. But, um, you know, I advise anyone to listen, check out the video. And that was one of the things that led me to wanting to do this. So you talked a lot in your boot camp uh, presentation about embracing variance. Can you just, you know, third, give us the 30 to 45 percent, uh, I mean, second uh, take on embracing variance and why that is so important in playing Major League Baseball DFS? I'll give it a shot. Um, Variance is everywhere in baseball. We all know it. Guys like Sano, they can either put up 21 runs or 20 points with a home run and a couple RBIs. (coughs) Sorry. Or they can put up zero. You're down to 20 seconds now. (laughs) Um, No, go take the time you need. No, but, uh, but it's important just to realize that the variance is there and to uh, basically to try and, to try and vary around the highest number possible. And a projection system can help you do that. Um, you know, having that kind of precision and, and accuracy, you know, you're varying around a higher total number of points than if you're just kind of, you know, picking and choosing players by hand and maybe not getting the absolute optimal best plays. Right. So I'm looking at the bat right now. Anyone who has the bat can look at it and Looking at the 405 slate, David Ortiz comes up first at 9.74 points on DraftKings. Okay, if you cycle it by first baseman, the next guy down is Joey Votto at 8.57, and then Miguel Cabrera at 8.3, and Paul Goldschmidt at 8.23. So one thing the bat doesn't take into account, and it can't, I imagine, is, is ownership percentage. And for cash games, that doesn't matter. But for GPPs, it's very important. And so variance, the, you know, with variance, the difference between 8.23 and, 8. Uh, and 8.30 and 8.23 is not a lot. And that's why Derek does tell you to look over what it gives you and, you know, tweak it a little bit. Absolutely. Especially at first base where there's so many good players and so many good options, they can be bunched up like that. And so in a GPP, if you see, you know, the chalk guy is only projected for, you know, an extra couple tenths of a point more than the next guy who you think is going to be really low owned, then maybe that's the kind of play that you want to make in a GPP. So you're only as good as your projections is something that I believe very strongly in. What do you think, you know, what, why do you believe that people should purchase the bat and that your projections are better than what they can either get elsewhere or do on their own? Uh, I think it's because I come with such a heavy background in statistics. I don't think anyone has the sabermetric background that I do. And I don't think anyone is approaching things the same way that I am. <clears throat> My throat's bothering me. Um, that seems to be a thing with you. Yeah. It's, uh, <clears throat> I don't know what's going on today. I think God um, blessed you with great hair and a weak throat. <laughs> could be. Could be. Yeah, you can't have everything, can you? 
No, no, no. I, I got I got a good voice, but uh, no hair. <laughs> um, but no, I think uh, I think just the, the methodology behind it is is so much sounder than than other systems that I've seen because I come from that background. Um, because I am accounting for you know the possibility that what a player has done is by chance and not just taking his numbers at face value. Uh, and because the bat accounts for so many different factors, like I don't think any other systems out there are accounting for, you know, for umpires or for, for catcher pitch framing or anything like that. Well, and uh, again, you know, I asked you that question because after meeting you, I felt comfortable. No projection system is going to be perfect because, you know, it, you're only as good as the information you put in. But I feel that you have the type of mindset and the due diligence to, to put out a very, very strong product. And it's why I, I do recommend it whenever I get the opportunity. So um, well, moving it. on, explain safer pitching, riskier bats. So the general theory in DFS is in your cash games, you want, <clears throat> you want safer pitching. You want the ace who is uh, – you know, going to give you a high floor. Uh, and then because bats, there's so much variance to begin with, you know, Mike Trout can be in the best matchup ever and still go over four. Uh, so, so the theory goes that you embrace the safer pitching and then you just deal with the variance in the bats. Yep. Um, in your video, you use an optimizer to maximize the bat. How important do you think it is to use an optimizer? For me, I think it's very important, especially for cash games. For GPPs, much less so because ownership levels are such an important factor to consider. Uh, but for cash games, an optimizer can help you find the best combinations of players and kind of get as much value as possible into your lineup so that you're varying around the highest number possible. Yep. Do you ever lock certain people in before you optimize, especially starting pitchers, considering you believe in safer pitching and riskier bats? Definitely. Definitely a viable option to, uh, to lock in those, those safer pitchers. Um, you know, and, and as a cash game strategy, that's a very viable one, and it's going to give you that safer floor with your pitchers. I don't always do it. Sometimes if there's a really cheap pitcher and a good matchup, I will, I will kind of be a little bit more willing to take that risk than a lot of people are, but uh, it's, it comes down to personal preference a little bit. I tend to play more GPPs than cash, so I tend to do it both ways, and I'll run lineups out there both ways. Yeah, I think, I think it's important, too, to play your cash lineups in your GPPs. You might not necessarily take, take the GPP down, but – there's so much dead money in GPPs from people trying to take it down that your cash lineup can still turn you a profit. I, I agree a hundred percent. I always do that. Or as Dave Lofgren said during his um, presentation, basically don't be a putz, play your cash lineup in GPPs <laughs> so that you don't want to beat yourself over the head with a hammer. If it would have won. Absolutely. So does the process change in using the optimizer? I, you already answered this a little bit, but I've got it written down, so I'm going to ask it. Um, does the process change for cash games and GPP? You mostly play cash games, but how would you advise changing things up for those who want to use the bat for GPPs? I think some of the best ways to do it is, is to do a lot of extra research, figure out who's going to be high-owned, 
and then see which guys the bat likes that aren't going to be high owned. If you can find guys like that, you can lock them into your lineup, uh, find that core that you want, and then let let uh, let the bat or the optimizer kind of fill in around it with good value plays that it likes. Something that I've started doing with the bat, um, if you if you know the bat, um, on the right side things are in blue, green, yellow, and red. Blue is the best, followed by green, then yellow, then red. And so I'll take that and put it on a spreadsheet, and then I'll sort by dollars per point, and I'll take um, like a certain amount and make them the dollars per point people blue, and the same thing with green, and then I'll, I'll sort it by team. And then I'll look for teams that have five or six people with blue and green both in the fantasy points as well as in the value. And I only did it last night, and it didn't work out. But I'm not discouraged because last night was kind of one of those variance nights where it was. The, where what what you know, and you can't be discouraged about that. You know, one of my sayings about daily fantasy is a, a, a good daily daily fantasy player is like a good cornerback in football. You need to be able to get burned without letting it get to your head. So sometimes optimizers bring up guys I don't want for certain style games. Um, Oh, I already did that one. I'm sorry. Um, So I I, I guess that why don't we kind of go through the optimizer right now, see what comes up, and then we can take that and use it to make a lineup for a GPP. Let's do it. All right. So – I'm going over and I'm going and I know if you do it at the same time, it might not be the same, but let me make sure I get the slate right. We're going to do the four o'clock slate, seven games. We still have enough time to get a lineup in. Hopefully Uh, I'm going to click find optimal lineup instead of find multiple since we're time is limited. And the, the, the lineup that we have is Jacob deGrom and John Neese as pitchers. How do you feel about that combination today? I think uh, that that's the early slate, right? Are we doing the early or the late? Uh, I, I got the 405, but I'll, I can do it just for the last oh, five okay. games. Hold on. Right, 405. Okay. Uh, um, let's go back to the Let's go back to the pool. I'll do it for the late games. That makes more sense anyway, although it's five games. It's, you know, one of the things you mentioned in your presentation is, and I think this is important and it's a way to take advantage of the bat, is the bigger the sample size, the better the bat's going to be. And I've had a lot of success so far using the bat on all-day slates on DraftKings where I can take advantage of that larger sample size and then change players as news comes up. Right. The, uh, the more players that you and your opponents have to pick from, the more opportunities for mistakes that your opponents have to make for them to pick non-optimal plays. If there's only, you know, five games, a lot of the best plays often are going to be really high owned. And so there's less edge. Yep. And, and, and I, that was one of the things that stuck out from your presentation. So um, I just ran the optimizer that DraftKings of DraftKings, Roto Grinders gives you uh, where you can either use the Roto Grinders projections or if you've paid your less than a dollar a day, you can have the the bat. 
And believe me, I've played with them both. There's a huge difference. Um, nothing against the Roto Grinders guys. So the two starting pitchers that came up was Alex Wood, who is kind of the pitching equivalent of uh, Sino, and John <laughs> Lester. Uh, what are yeah. your thoughts on those two guys as starters today? I love Wood. I love Wood almost every time he takes the mound. I know people get on me about it, but but he turns in really good games. Alex Wood is a better pitcher than most people credit him for. And for so long, he was so cheap that he was like a must play in almost every matchup. Now DraftKings has kind of picked up on him a little bit. He's 9.1 K today. Uh, but the matchup is still a really good one. He's in Petco against the Padres. So I love Alex Wood today. I think he's easily should be in all of your cash lineups. All right. Well, here's one that um, could give us, a little bit of pause and it's a way I think that you can consider tweaking the bat. So John Lester is the uh, other gentleman who came up and look, he's a great pitcher. It's not a bad matchup, uh, but he plays for a manager. You talked about getting longer into games. If it's a close game, Madden's going to pull him for a pinch hitter. What are your thoughts on Lester today? Definitely. Um, that's actually part of the changes that I made a couple days ago that, or yesterday, I guess that I was talking about where I account for pitch counts. So for guys that Madden does pull early sometimes like uh, Hendricks and Hamill, their initial projected pitch counts are going to be lower to kind of account for that. There's still going to be the variance. There's still going to be the starts where, you know, they get pulled after 75 or 80 pitches. I think it's a little bit less of a concern with an ace like Lester. I think he tends to let him go a little bit longer, um, but it is definitely something to consider. Uh, but in a, in such a good matchup, you know, the best park for pitchers in baseball, uh, a Giants team that is particularly poor against lefties because they have so many lefties, Belt and Crawford and Panic and whoever else. Um, I do like Lester tonight. All right. So um, I'm going to stick both of those into our lineup, John Lester and Alex Wood. And, uh, you know, we do lose the Grom by not being in the, um, the, the seven-game slate. So, catcher is Buster Posey, Prince Fielder at first base, Derek Dietrich at second, Adrian Beltre at third, Carlos Correa at short, Kiki Hernandez, Bryce Harper, and Giancarlo Stanton in the outfield. What are your thoughts on that team and what, if anything, would you look at to make changes? So one of the things that sticks out to me initially is Posey in there. Uh, because we're playing Lester, Posey is against Lester. Um, and I know that's something that a lot of people shy away from. For me, I'm With less good reason. For good reason. Um, for me, I'm less inclined to change that today. Because we're dealing with a five-game slate, there just aren't a lot of options, especially at a position like catcher. Uh, and Posey, it looks like, is 3K. So he really doesn't have to do that much to meet that price tag. If Posey gets a couple hits or he gets a double or, you know, a hit in an RBI, he's going to meet value. So in this scenario, it's very possible, you know, maybe even probable that Lester and Posey both turn value in the same lineup. All right. So the next person, Prince Fielder, is a guy that I don't love, to be honest. I like Mitch Moreland more. They're the same price. Uh, other options that we could fit in are Justin Boer, uh, Pedro Alvarez, Brandon Belt, Ryan Zimmerman. Are you on the fielder train today, or are you uh, 
um, you know, like one of those other guys I mentioned. Yeah, so Fielder's a guy that I can see pulling out. He is cheap. He's 3.3K. He's in a good matchup. It's a good park, uh, you know, fly ball pitcher. But Fielder has been so bad this year and so bad lately that he's one of these guys that I can see kind of uh, – I can see excluding him. In, in the lineup builder, there's an exclude button um, because, uh, because he's just been so bad. And if there is something wrong with him, the bat's probably not quite picking up on it yet. So, so I can see excluding Fielder and maybe seeing, uh, seeing what else it gives us. All right. Well, before we do that, let's go through the rest of the positions because maybe we could downgrade somewhere else and not just be limited to the six guys, Prince Fielder's price or lower. And that's a tip that I will give out to the people in the audience and something that I do. Second base, Derek Dietrich. What are your thoughts? I, uh, I, I like Dietrich a lot today, actually. He's, uh, he's in second base in your lineup. Yep. Okay, he's at third for mine, so we might be we might have loaded it at different times. The projections update a lot throughout the day, um, but yeah, I like uh, I like Dietrich today. He's uh, why? Sorry, my computer was having issues. Um, yeah, he's no leading off. He's a guy who has uh, a big platoon split, uh, and he's facing Joe Ross, who I think is overrated. People, I don't know, they tend to love Joe Ross for some reason, but he's a pretty mediocre pitcher. So. So leading off at home for that price, I love Dietrich. All right. Now, at third base, we've got Adrian Beltre at 3.5. So if we've got Dietrich with the ability to move over, now this is something else that I tend to do. I, I have the bat on one tab, and I have my lineup built on another. So I go over to third base, and I'll sort it by salary. Um. Well, I won't even do that. I'll, I'll keep it by fantasy points. And around 3-5, the first guy who comes up is Danny Valencia. Brandon Drury is 3-2. Jung Ho Kang is 3-3. Do you like Beltre better, or do you like moving Dietrich over to th- – uh, to, to uh, well, he's at second base, right? Um, I'm sorry. I did that wrong. Let me go to second base. <laughs> At 3.4, Brandon Phillips, Starlin Castro, 3.1, Neil Walker, 3.6. So do you like Dietrich better at third base? Is there another third baseman you like more than Beltre around that price point? What are your thoughts? No, I think think either way that works. I think Beltre is in a really good spot today. Um, the lineup that I pulled up has Dietrich at third and Rubnet Odor at second, so another guy from that Texas lineup. Uh, so I think either combination is a good one. All right. Um, I'm going to go with this is where's Odor batting? Uh, he he was moved but down to sixth or seventh. He was, uh, but Suchu got hurt again last night, so Odor is back in the leadoff spot. All right. So let's go Odor and Dietrich at third. And that's something else that you talk about. You know, if there's a tiebreaker, having someone batting first versus um, fourth or fifth where, where Beltre is, you know, you might get an extra at-bat. That could be the difference. Absolutely. I, uh, I think batting position is, is so important and so underrated by a lot of people in the DFS community. All right. So we've got Carlos Correa at third base. Uh, another guy that the bat tends to love because he's so much better than the 
that, that tends to be the people beneath him. Do you think he's in a good spot today? I mean, that is the place, if we don't like him, we could really look to move down and use money elsewhere. Yeah, we could definitely save money there, but the bat likes the Astros the most of any team today. It has them projected for the most runs scored, and Correa is their best hitter. He's the best shortstop in baseball. I I think Correa is a great play today. All right, so – that leaves us with the outfield and Kiki Hernandez. Have we gotten any word if he's playing today? Uh, we have not gotten any word, although against a righty, it may not be entirely likely. All right. So that's a spot we need to look at. And then we've got Bryce Harper and, and uh, Geo Stanton. As mentioned, I, I just don't think Stanton is looking good right now. He's the guy that I would love to see who else the bat loves. And Harper, as good as he is, I mean, he's just been walking a tremendous amount lately. And when you're paying, I mean, he's only 4'6 today, but when you're looking at that kind of uh, salary, is Harper someone that you really want in a GPP today? He's a guy that, that I found myself excluding a lot lately, not because he's not you know, the best hitter in baseball, which he is, but just because of the way they're pitching him, like he doesn't get a chance to show that talent as much lately. And so, and so I can definitely see taking him out. All right. So I'm going to make an executive decision because we're running a little low on time. You and I can keep recording just so you know, if we get the uh, last couple minutes, we can keep recording and it will be there for posterity and, once it's posted, people will be able to hear the end. But what do you think about sticking Altuve and Springer in? I definitely like Springer. Um, I like Altuve, too, but I think leading like off, Odor I, think more? I think Odor is the play because you're going to save almost 2000 over Altuve. So, oh, wow. So even though Altuve was that cheap. No, you're absolutely yeah. right. All right. So. Um, trying to get this in, let's look at the bat. Um, this is something I make lineups regularly with the Motown Mauler. When you get most of your lineups in, one of the things we like to do is the average remaining salary is 3233 And this is the part of building a lineup where you want to use a little bit of finesse, I think. Don't you? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So who does the, I'm gonna, who does the bat love? around $3,000 in these positions. Do you have any really good value plays? Maybe Mazzara today? Uh, is Mazzara in the lineup today? He's Mazzara. Oh, Mazzara's batting seventh today, so that's why yeah. he's fallen down. I don't, I don't no, think he's the best. No, no yeah. interest there. Um, uh, all right, so around 3.2, I'm going to throw some names out at you. Uh, Hunter Pence is 3-4, uh, Puig is 3-5, uh, let's see, so, Solaire is 3-2, Joey Rickard 3-1, Span 3,000, Rymel 2-9, um, do you have any, uh, Ben Revere is 2-8, yeah, um, Taylor's out today, by the way, if anyone's uh, keeping track. Uh, Ryan Rue is 2,300. Anybody jump out at you in, in that grouping? 
Honestly, that price range today, there's not a lot of guys that I like. I would almost rather drop down to 2.1K for Chris Heisey and then upgrade somewhere else. All right. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to deal with the Heiseys and the lows. So Heisey <laughs> is in leaving us 3,800. Let's go back to first base. And do you like, like uh, Justin Bohr or Mitch Moreland today? Let's do Moreland. Yeah, that's who I like, especially with Odor in. And that leaves us 4-3, which gets us Ian Desmond, Stanton, Yelich, Gaddis, Adam Jones, Trumbo, who I almost always like, um, for GPPs. Another guy I really like that, that is underneath there is Marcel Ozuna. Uh, who do you like? we got 10 seconds, and then we will keep doing the show you can check it out with the link uh, after. Well, since you don't want to play Stanton because of his cold streak, how about Gaddis? And that, that way it gives us a little bit more Astros exposure since we have a few of those guys already for a GPP. We can do that. But before we do that, I am obviously showing a recency bias. Tell me why you might want to play Stanton. Is, 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 if, if that's the right play and I'm building a lineup with you, Let's let's have a quick conversation about that. Stanton, I would need to dig into a little bit more because, like you said, he's been he's been kind of cold lately. Um, but but he's so cheap that like for four point two k for one of the best hitters in baseball, it's uh it's appealing. But uh, if you look at the especially bat, for a GPP, I'm gonna stick Stanton in there because this is a GPP. And if I have a recency bias, so do a lot of other people. And, and I think against – yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I think against Joe Ross, too. I think people are going to be disinclined to play him because people tend to like Ross. So I can see him being very low-owned with a lot of upside. So Derek and I are splitting this lineup. I'm putting it in. Um, it's the MLB 100K Saturday night special, 25000 to first. Derek and I will be splitting any profits. Um, I don't know if I told you that, but that's, I do that for uh, any guests who come on the show who have uh, a bit of a reputation. It's a, a little of my way of saying thank you for doing the podcast. Our lineup is John Lester, Alex Wood, Buster Posey, Mitch Moreland, Rough Ned Odor, Derek Dietrich, Carlos Correa, George Springer, Chris Heisey, and Mr. Stanton. Any last comments uh, before we go? No, I like that. Um, and uh, I've really enjoyed myself. Thank you for having me on, Todd. I really enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully we can talk again soon. Take care, Definitely. Derek. I'm going to leave everyone with a, a song. And uh, what we're going to – let's see. What am I going to play? Hopefully um, – you know, when we're playing a forty-dollar tournament, I could use a miracle tonight. How about you, Derek? <laughs> that would be nice. All right, we're going to leave with uh, Jefferson Starship from the late seventies. Miracles. Thanks again, Derek, for doing the Run to Daylight podcast. Very much appreciated. For sure. Thanks for having me.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.